Hello and welcome back to tonight movie. I am Sarah, joined with my dear older brother again, Mr. Benjamin Turner. Today we are talking about the sequel to the 1982 science fiction hit and dystopian Blade Runner 2049. Uh, the previous original movie is 1982 film Blade Runner starring Harrison Ford. Uh, the sequel Blade Runner 2049 came out in 2017. It is a science fiction film directed by, I'm going to butcher this man's name, Denis Villeneuve? I think that's how you Denis pronounce it. Villeneuve. What? <laughs> Denis Villeneuve, yes. Yeah, oh, okay. So I completely butchered it. French Canadian? That, that explains a little bit. Alrighty. So, Ben, would you please tell us about the plot of this movie? Totally. It's set 30 years after the original Blade Runner. Uh, Officer K is one of the new Nexus 9 replicants and part of the LAPD. He is known as a Blade Runner. is tasked with retiring the older Nexus models from 2019 that have gone rogue. While on the job, K, K comes across something mysterious that has been kept hidden for the last 30 years. K begins to not only unravel this mystery, but go on a journey of self-discovery on who he is. And so typically for these movies, um, or at least for this podcast, we're trying to focus a little bit more on, I guess we'd say like lesser known foreign films, but lately we've been bringing in ones that are like are quite popular. Like at one point we did talk about Atlantis um, and also The Departed. And for this one, we're going to be talking about Blade Runner 2049. And we're going to actually talk a little bit about the theological concepts. And I remember Ben, I think, texted me this. I think I want to say, I asked him for a list of movies. This was like back in March or April. And one of them was Blade Runner 2049. And he brought up a lot of the the, um, theological concepts and saying, let's talk about this. These aren't actually talked about much. And so Ben is going to help us dissect some of the theological concepts. Because I have many thoughts on this movie. Kind of a lot of the same from the first Blade Runner when I saw it. Um, but we're just going to dive right into it. I kind of want to preface something real quick. I'm not a fan of this movie. Here's the thing. I didn't mind the cast. I think the cast did a great job. I think the script was pretty good. I think the cin- cinematography was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the scenes were pretty good, except for I found one kind of really unnecessary. I think the characters were good. The pacing was so freaking slow. And I'm like, is this movie going to pick up at any point? And I thought the same thing when I watched the original Blade Runner. I think it was about a year ago with Harrison Ford. And I'm just like, we're about an hour in this movie. Is something going to happen yet? <laughs> so I'm going to preface that right now. I know Ben has very much a different opinion on it. Ben, can you take us away with some theological concepts or just anything? Um, sure. Uh, maybe we should go over the script first. You that way script? we can, okay. yeah. And so, like I said, like none of it really didn't bug me. Like the dialogue, yeah. Yeah, like I some of it, I kind of felt predictable or maybe a little bit too dramatic, <laughs> and I might have to deal, deal with the pacing of the movie. But you thought that because Ryan Gosling was pretty much stone faced except for like three scenes. <laughs> true, like, <yeah>. true. <laughs> like he was like he didn't really like break character. He had definite Mo- RBF yeah. going on. But also that's the same with. And that's also explained. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's explained the movie because like he has to uh, remember when he has to do baseline tests. Mm. Like he has to stay yeah, stoic yeah. and everything like that because they can't afford him having emotions because of his job. Because right, like wasn't the point of the baseline if you. You have to remain stoic, and if you don't, that's considered you going rogue. Yeah, you have and then to have you have emotion. to be quote unquote retired. Mm-hmm. 
which for those of you who haven't seen it, retired, that's the standard term they use, and they've used it in the first one, they use it in this one, and essentially it means you're gonna die. Mm -hmm. That's, so, that's what it means, and because these are machines, they kind of set off, they do some technology and kind of press the off button in a way, couldn't figure out mm -hmm. the entire process, but. Well, they're like clones or something like that, they are grown, so they aren't machines, it's more like, um, I don't, yeah. Uh, they're they're not machines. They are people. They're just like programmed to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, it's it's kind of interesting. So they're like robots, but biological robots. So yeah. And you don't know that they are. Yeah. I will say one thing I did want them to explain a little bit more because I was slightly confused until later on down the movie, and also when I looked it up mm -hmm. and um, did my good old Wikipedia search, uh, was the blackout. I think it was the blackout of like twenty twenty two or something like that. Because mm -hmm. they keep mentioning this blackout. Yeah, and it kind of felt like they glossed over it. Well, the idea was like I think they needed uh, some reason why like the world was so different, but not really. It, it was kind of like for as a narrative concept, it was needed. Um, they did release a whole bunch of shorts in addition to this movie. Yeah, I, I so, saw like, that. Which, and now. some of them talk about it. Um, but yeah, the blackout's basically like how Harrison Ford was able to escape with Rachel, or sorry, Deckard was able yeah. to escape with Rachel in the first movie. Um, Deckard, why, by the way, is Harrison Ford's yeah, character. Yeah, <laughs> and why they have Blade Runners uh, still hunting down the old prototypes because they didn't have a registry of all, of all the old prototypes. It's um, why a lot of them are able to go incognito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, you know, I'm thinking, we, let's touch on the theological concepts last. Yeah. That way we can do uh, yeah. everything else. <laughs> so you said you like cinematography. What about it did you like? I, it was the scene, the main scene that I really liked, I want to talk about this one first, is when Officer K also known Ryan Gosling, he goes into Las Vegas to find Deckard. Mm, so good. And I also, I didn't really watch this at night, but it kind of blacked out our living room a little bit. But thankfully we got to this point in the movie to where it was dark enough outside to where I was actually able to see a lot of this pop. And it was the orangish glow. Mm -hmm. Do you know which one I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Mm -hmm. I looked at that and I'm like, that looks killer. And I think the way they were able to maneuver the camera and able to see everything and how uh, the, just the entire city of Los Angeles and how everything was and the camera work is great. And it goes back to one of my theories, which is there are some movies that look phenomenal on a big wide screen. If you watch them, movies like Blade Runner 2049 or Dunkirk, Dunkirk is like my, my main example for this you will not get that same effect. Right. And it's like, okay, you really do feel as if you're not, I guess like in a way, like you're in the dystopia era, but it's like, okay, you feel a little bit more immersed. You're getting more of the story as opposed when you're watching it too on like a basic, my laptop's 13 inches. If I watch mm -hmm. this on my 13 oh, inch it's, Oh, I watched laptop. it IMAX the day it came out. Oh, that was nice. the great one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It was was absolutely jaw dropping. I just realized like 2017, like this came out in October 2017. I think back in July, Dunkirk came out. Mm -hmm. So it was a good movie. You got Christopher Nolan and then mm -hmm. directing, and then Dennis Villeneuve. However you say his name, what? It's like a little gibberish yeah. thing right there. But it. Hey, good year, 2017. Good year for yeah. some, definitely for some cinemas. So one of the reasons I think Vienna Wave, and this is on the subject of cinematography, Vienna yeah. Wave is so underrated, 
is because he has such a great team around him that sometimes you wonder if it's him making these awesome creative decisions or if it's his team. Roger Deakins uh, yes. is the cinematographer for this one. I think he did Arrival. I, he didn't do Sicario, um, which wasn't as good cinematography when it comes to cinematography, and he's not going to be on Dune when it comes out in 2021. It got pushed back, by oh. the way, a year, which sucks. Uh, that being said, one of the cool things I'm looking forward to Dune is to see if Villanueva's, uh, if the cinematography is Villanueva's uh, hit due to his directing, or if it's due to Deacons or both. It's 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 going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting because um, Arrival cinematography, which was also Deacons, was absolutely jaw dropping. Oh my word! Oh, because yeah, you like made, Arrival. Oh, I love Arrival. Yeah, we're going to be covering um, that at one point. Well, yeah, we should because I, you're the one who said we're doing yeah, oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> I literally texted Ben. Uh, what was it back April or March? And be like, all right, let's do movies. That was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be good. It's it's going to be really good. Uh, yeah, like I said, um. I'm I'm very excited to see the direction in general that cinematography is taking in film. Uh, it's starting to go more the Sergio Leone route, where it's it's okay. uh, where he, and he did the start doing this back in like the '60s. Um, but it's it's all long shots or close-ups. So it's it's okay. like it's yeah. each shot is just pure sex. It's so like like seriously, it's movie poster ready. Like uh, that's not what I thought you were. Gonna yeah, say. well, I mean, I mean, you look at it like most of the shots of Blade Runner twenty forty nine and Arrival, as you're gonna see, um, they're all movie poster ready. It's mm-hmm. absolutely just, it's amazing. I love it. Uh, it's same with Stalker. Actually, we were talking about the long ta- uh, the long takes. Yes. Um, and that's what I think. That's one of the hallmarks of great cinematography is you don't need to edit it when you make your marketing materials, which is kind of like a, which is kind of an interesting dichotomy. It's not a hill I'm willing to die on, but I think it's worth noting. Um, <laughs> so then, and I could be wrong, but like I do, I, I'm not nearly as well versed in cinematography as I am on other subjects of filmmaking. So then, question: I noticed that the cinematography was similar to the 1982 version or at least maybe maybe it was just the pacing that made it feel similar because both are slow so freaking so slow. i'm gonna i'm gonna go on that high horse many times so please bear with me but i noticed that they were similar and ridley scott was originally supposed to i think direct this one he was on board but a variety of things af- happened he resigned from the project but the cinematography and everything was still the same and i think it was because the director, I'm calling him the director because I will butcher his name. Um, but he wanted to have that same look and feel. Do you think he accomplished that? Yeah, I actually think he did a lot better job. I don't really know sim- the really? same thing cinematography as much as in Blade Runner, uh, the original Blade Runner. That's also because maybe it was a little bit constricted by special effects back then when you couldn't have yeah. those big vistas. Because, uh, again, this is there is so many amazing vistas in 2049. It's just absolutely... Ugh. It's it's concept art made into a, like every like every frame of painting. Yeah. Not to it is know, very surreal. Taking that from the YouTube channel, but yeah, it's it's awesome. I, I love it. It's almost like Lord of the Rings in a way. Okay. Like where where you know you well you know like uh for a lot of their long shots they did uh what was it called the type of painting um I don't know I'm not well versed but in Lord it, of the it's, Rings. they <laughs> would they would just like do drawings and superimpose people okay, in yeah. front of it yeah. Uh, matte paintings. There matte, we go. That's what paintings. it's called. Yeah, matte paintings. Um. Oh yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, it's it's like that, <laughs> and it it was really. Yeah. I just oh, I just love the look of it. It just makes me feel like every time I watch it, I just sit, have to sit back in awe. 
anyways yeah visually i think i think Mm -hmm. again as i said in the beginning as a disclaimer i think you had every great element in this film i don't understand why the pacing was slow maybe you can tell me why the pace was so freaking slow from either one (laughs) because for me i guess we're just so used to all action dystopian movies being like go 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 Mm -hmm. that to have one that is very slowed down and still somehow able to make two and a half hours apparently also this movie was originally four hours yeah it got got chopped down to two and a half but it's just so slow for me i don't understand the point of why either one was slow like right. do you have oh any... so you thought the first one was slow too oh i, I may just were be a personal so, taste thing yeah although i do hear a lot of people Stalker, cri- yeah but... I, I see a lot of people critiquing the second one for being too slow i like it because there's not much is going on i don't have to deal with uh convoluted plot lines which you definitely True. have to do with a lot of mo- modern hollywood True. stuff um also being a way of a he like he tends to do simpler plot lines like prisoners i haven't seen incendies or enemy but i've heard they're good and, and similar but prisoners sicario rival and blade runner um dune's going to be interesting because dune is not a simple plot line it's a very intricate complex web of subplots going on um because it wasn't it originally a book or is yeah, it originally a book yeah, yeah. it's a book uh so, which is which is a massive departure than what he usually does. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how he handles that because it's just, yeah, twenty forty nine. It's extremely simple plot. Like I think they have like one or two turns and that's it. Like they have the introduction. Yeah. He gets his mission. He accomplishes his mission, or so he thinks. Uh, dun dun dun. And then yeah, and then that's where you have kind of a turn. And then he's told uh, by the resistance or whatever to, that he has a job, and I guess it's another turn, and that's it. But like those two turns don't come in until like an hour and a half into the movie, and an hour and a half after the introduction, after the original call to action. True. Which is what? So I don't know. Well, it, he kind it, of had like a, like he kind of like in the like over I guess overall he had like a total of three. It was all kind of one plot that, okay, I can see that. One plot that kind of divulged into two others. Because mm-hmm. one of them was just trying to figure out this whole mystery thing, which, mm-hmm. should, can we tell what the mystery, said mystery thing was, or is that spoiling it? Uh, well, I'm, I'll be talking about it later Okay, anyway. yeah. Spoiling it, but, like, one thing is which, prevalent is the, like, the whole child. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's this thing involving a child, and this won't spoil it because they tell you, I think, within the first 15 minutes mm-hmm. of the film which is Rachel and Deckard. So if you haven't seen the previous Blade Runner, Rachel, she is one of the replicants, or was one of the replicants in the first Blade Runner, her, and Deckard, who, believe yeah, he's human, and they fall in love. And at one point, between 2019 and 2049, so probably, so probably around the beginning of 2019, um, in that year, they had a child. And that's kind of unheard of, because... Mm-hmm. Rachel's a replicant. How can she have a child? And replicants in this case are, I guess, they're slaves in a way, mm-hmm. or like, or the, they're defined yeah. as slaves because they're programmed to do certain jobs. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to have that it, there, they're like, oh, this is something that's new. And you have that, and they're trying to find, okay, who is this child between this replicant and the father? And Deckard, after this whole thing happens, um, like he goes off completely off grid for thirty years, and so you have Kay, who's responsible for, like, okay, who is this child? And the world cannot know about this child because if they do, 
the replicants could go rogue because they realized, oh, we're more than just whatever we were made to do. Mm-hmm. And so they got that task. And then at one point, you have Kay's like, okay, I'm on a mission to find Deckard, which Harrison Ford was finally introduced about halfway through the movie, thank God, because I just like Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, can you, I'm like, maybe he can make this slightly more interesting. Kind of did, kind of didn't. Um, he, he added a little bit of action, thank God, because I needed something to keep me a little bit more engaged. And then you have the end to where Kay was tasked to do something with Deckard, to, or um, for Deckard. And then that whole thing. So it's like one plot line leading to multiple. It was simple, but at the same time kind of complex, which actually, now that I'm thinking about it, not that bad. Right. I've rambled on a little bit about this enough. But... I kind of want to move on to just certain scenes. Did you have any personal favorites? Did you just like it all? I love the ending scene. It made me like first time I yeah. saw it, I almost cried. Uh, <laughs> when he's that's just, a first. Yeah, uh, it was just it absolutely stole my soul. It was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. Um, Did I'm you gonna go on later about why I loved it. Um, when we go into the spoiler-heavy section, we talk oh, yeah. about theology and philosophy. But, oh, yeah. We're probably doing this late in the episode. This is a huge spoiler. <laughs> yeah. This, this well, is, I haven't... We haven't say what happened. Lenny yeah. Let us know. <laughs> oh, no. This like this yeah. entire episode like, will be sp- well, we'll spoiler be, yeah. We'll, we'll announce it when, yeah. uh, when it starts. Um, that's yeah. about it. There were... I don't know. I'm trying to think of any scenes I wouldn't want. Uh, no, it was a pretty... Um, oh, shoot. Maybe there's something unnecessary, but like I'd have... <laughs> <clears throat> I'd have to watch it again. It's been like a month or two since I've watched it, so <laughs> Only I need a month. To, yeah, I need to take a look at it again. Um, I got mine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what mine is? Yeah, yeah. Yours is the uh, yeah. Oh. The whole it. like, so you have Joy, and Joy is an AI, and she's basically a new and improved Alexa. That's what I'm gonna mm-hmm. how I define her, and she's Kay's girlfriend holographic girlfriend i guess you could say companion slash girlfriend it's it's very yeah it's very weird in my personal opinion i i i have my thoughts on joy itself i think anadarmus i think that's how you pronounce her name i think she did a great job Mm -hmm. um with the character she was given and everything anadarmus if you're a if you're listening to this, uh, consider this me asking you out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and the armist Ben has a serious like. He's got. He's got I, a got, good crush I got a bit on of a crush on her. Uh, <laughs> I think we started briefly talking about this last night, and he was just—he's like, "Oh man, she's so gorgeous. I would so take her out on a date." So Anna, if you're watching this, hit my brother up, please. <laughs> please hit him up. But anyways, there is a scene to where you had Joy the Joy the AI, who. Her and Kay, there's some weird thing, I don't know, but she's a hologram, so they cannot physically touch each yeah, other. Yeah, so they hold, they hire a prostitute to, like, for Joy to overlay so she can have sex with Kay. I, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand the point. The only time I understood the point was when the prostitute, whose name is Mariette, who's mm-hmm. actually kind of grew to like her towards the end, because she's actually a very sweet young girl. Mm-hmm. She's also a replicant. Um... But she she had she put something in Kay's jacket and that like that little scene like that little part was prevalent to the movie towards the yeah. end. But I'm like, was the sex scene really necessary? I didn't. It was, and find I will explain. It oh, you will t- in, okay. Uh, Ben's the uh, theology and philosophy <laughs> corner, corner, which we are. Are we entering said? Phil- well, eh, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's enter. It. Okay, we'll let's enter go. We'll forward. go back I to mean, the other that's things. That's a good segue. Yeah. Um, okay. From now on, everything after this is spoiler heavy. So. 
what makes Blade Runner 2049 an excellent theological commentary, um, and we're talking about from a Judeo-Christian point of view, is, oh my word. I, I don't even know where, sometimes I don't even know where to start when I'm talking about it. Please help. Like, okay, let's start. When you open up, when I when we go over the plot of Blade Runner 2049, on the surface, it looks like a social commentary about resistance and maybe race relations. Okay, yeah. And then, but you don't get that when you watch it. And that's because, to, and, ah, shoot, how do I... You don't get that. You, it's that's not what it's about. It's about that. That's a that's a sub point in it, but it's in the end. It's even a rejection of that. It's a rejection of the idea of of purpose in a way. That's not no 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 no. This is I get so excited when I talk about this <laughs> that it makes that's it's a little difficult for me to uh, string Convey. two thoughts together when we talk about it. So hold on a sec. Let's edit this yeah. out. Um, Blade Runner 2049 is about Agent K, who, for all intents and purposes, is a clean slate emotionally and spiritually, actually. He is forbidden from having beliefs. Essentially, what they try to do is they try to brainwash him every time he has to go in for baseline. So, metaphorically speaking, he is a spiritual clean slate. Okay. Throughout the entire movie, starting with his boss, uh, played by... I can't remember her name. Um, she was an, she's an awesome or she used to date Sean Penn, uh, or Mary Sean she was married to Sean Penn. I can't remember her name. Um Robin something. Uh, uh Robin Wright. Robin Wright, there we go. Uh his boss tells him tells him he has a job to do. He's gonna go hunt down a child and kill a child. Or I guess they're an adult now. Um, but he needs to go hunt down this the love child of a human and a replicant, Deckard and Rachel. From the uh, the two uh main characters in the first movie oh i think i know my, my yeah college so he goes she enforces a belief on him that this would upset society and because this upset society is worth it for you to go out and kill somebody execute somebody that's actually what it is. it's, it's an execution. execution yeah um As he goes, as we go throughout the, as he goes, uh, I think about the midpoint of the movie, he fi- he finds out that he is the love child. But wait, there's more. There's more. So when he finds out he's the love child, he tells uh, his boss that it's over, and that the uh, the replicant that he killed is, or the person he killed is dead. Um, that's and, the, and that's at his... this point, he still thinks it's him, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, hold on, let me. Uh, I have to be able to keep my train yeah. of thought going. Mm-hmm. From there, he he that's his first rebellion against authority, and he considered he's one of the best uh, Blade Runners in the business. It's very uh, how do I put it? It's I mean it's a character defining moment for him. He rebels against the authority. He was fine with killing with executing someone earlier. He even mm-hmm. says that he isn't like she ordered him to do it, and, he, and she's like, "Well, do you have a problem with this?" He's like, "No, you ordered me to do it. Of course, I'm going to execute this person." Yeah, this is his first first act of rebellion, and on the surface, this is his ultimate act of rebellion. But no, this is the penultimate act. What he really does that's absolutely amazing is when he finds out he isn't the chosen one. When the uh, replicant resistance movement contacts him. They give him a new purpose. Fight for your race. Fight for the replicants. Mm-hmm. 
and go kill Deckard <laughs> uh, for reasons. Yeah. Um, and they explain it more in depth in the movie. And on the surface, it looks like it was what he's going to do. He goes, he finds uh, Deckard. He has a final battle with Joy, who's tr- who's taking Deckard off world to torture him. Not uh, love. Yes, love. Sorry, not Joy. Uh, I'll go back to Joy, though. Yeah. But, uh, love. There we go. One of the bad guys. Uh, goes to kill. Uh, and he could have let Deckard die, but instead he saves Deckard's life. He rejects the identity given to him by the replicants. He rejects the purpose given to him by a, a purpose thrusted upon him, one a purpose he did not accept, and instead takes Deckard to the real chosen one, the daughter. That is his purpose. Now, where am I getting at this? What does this have to do with theology, you ask? Well, I'm very glad you asked. Um, oh, shoot. Actually, before I get into the theology part, I have to talk about joy. Joy is insanely important to the theme and theology of the movie. All, it, the, okay, this movie has gratuitous amount of se- amounts of sex and nudity. I'm just telling you, and that is what not makes, a family movie, right? And that is what makes this movie so good. All the sex, all the nudity. Sex and sex is about love. Even, I mean, everyone will freaking porn stars will even say that sex is about love, even though it's their business. They will say, yeah, in the end, it probably is. Yeah. And their job is to satiate that loneliness. Yeah. <laughs> Artificially satiate yeah. that loneliness for people. There is no... The only point in the movie where sex equals love is when Joy hires the prostitute to have sex, quote-unquote, with Agent K. Okay. Nice. But even to do that, that is artificial love. Because she can't actually love she yeah she's programmed to feel the way she is. Plus they're using someone else as a proxy in a way for Agent K to even feel love. And then when uh, Joy dies, he's offered to get a new model that he get, that's all that's pre-programmed. Remember uh, the scene? Uh, he's in the rain, and then he sees the massive hologram of Joy because yes. Joy is a pre, is pre programmed yeah. to be a guy's fantasy. Yeah, she can be anything. Exactly, and he fell in love with this artificial fantasy of someone who can't actually love him because they're a computer program. They're not real. Exactly. So even there, the material, uh, the ultimate, one of the ultimate signs of decadence in our world, sex, and one of the greatest needs that we have, love. Mm-hmm. is wholly rejected in the, I mean, not just a subtext, the outright text of the movie. Joy is artificial. Any love he felt for her is artificial. Because he's like, well, it wasn't actually, he was loving an object in the same way that I would love a car. Right? Yeah. So, and he has that realization. His life at that point literally has no meaning. And until it's given to him, because he has no materialistic meaning, mm-hmm. he has no me- no one loves him. He loves no one. Mm-hmm. He has no purpose because he's already lied to his boss, and he and at that point doesn't know that he's not the chosen one. Then he finds out he's not the chosen one. In which case, he this dude literally has nothing to live for until mm-hmm. somebody tells him, "Oh, we'll fight for your race." Mm-hmm. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not using that as like a race like a race relations commentary. It's like it's the re- the group of replicants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's exactly the way it's exactly the way it's said. Um, and that gives him purpose where, yeah, oh, gosh, this is probably like an anti-fascist movie now until I think about it, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, 
because it's talking about you know fighting for your race and stuff like that. And when asked to do it to take part in the re to do his part for the rebellion, which is to kill, De which is to execute Deckard, which is the re pretty much the reverse of what his previous boss wanted, he chooses not to engage in that, and instead chooses to abide by the ultimate morality, which he <laughs> sorry, excuse me, abide by the ultimate morality, mm -hmm. which would be to take uh, Deckard to his daughter and to make sure Deckard is safe. And in the end, Agent K dies living a fulfilled life. Leaving a fulfilled life, which is why he smiles at the very end of the movie. And that and he dies because he got wounded fighting love. Uh, yeah, love. Yeah, the, ro uh, the replicant love. I know we talk a lot about love, but it's th there's also a replicant named love. Uh, he, di he got wounded fighting her uh, and dies in the snow. While why Deckard, while Deckard goes and sees his daughter for the first time ever. Now, <laughs> this is this is a some pretty well known facet of Christian theology that you should reject. Um, or it's a uh, it's a rejection of materialism. It's a, and it's a rejection uh, uh, a rejection of decadence, which is obviously which is joy in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, she represents materialism and decadence. Uh, as well as a rejection of, how do I put it? Actually, no, this is a really good way of putting it. Uh, I mean, one of the commandments is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And a lot of modern mm -hmm. Christian theologians uh, place ideology as a god and says you should not be an, uh, ideological simply because it is it can replace God. And Jesus alludes to that in the Gospels. Um, and I think Paul talks about it Excuse me, a little bit too. Uh, when he's writing to, oh gosh, I don't know, one of the churches in Greece, I forgot, uh, I have to remember. Um, in two moments, Agent K rejects ideology. First, as an police officer, and the mm -hmm. second, as a resistance fighter. He wholly rejects ideology, and then moves toward the ultimate morality, symbolized as his act of, put, like I'm going to say, of, De of Deckard and his daughter meeting. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm not even 100% sure Villanueva meant to do that, but it was when I saw that, I was like, dang, this is awesome. <laughs> like, I, even if he didn't mean to do it, I think it's an excellent way to talk about the Christian worldview when it comes to materialism and ideology, especially ideology. Because mm -hmm. it does make, because you do make a good point, especially with Joy, because Joy, I do kind of understand why she was there. She was, it's, and she's especially important, like, if we, like, your theological theory. She didn't just annoy the living beans out of me, and I don't know why. I th but it, you do make a good point where she represents this everything materialistic, and how even if there is something, he literally that is everything bought you love. Want. Yeah, he bought love. He bought the idea of love in joy. I just thought of something. What? Joy. I I just realized I know why she's named Joy. Because she is designed to have you that she can be anything and everything you want, everything that brings you joy. Oh yeah, I thought. I'm I, sorry. I thought it was pretty easy to figure. Out. Here's the thing: this entire movie just wanted to make me fall asleep. I'm sorry, and so for me, I'm like, that's why I need you. I need your help on a lot yeah. of these theological concepts. So for me, I'm like, oh, profound theory. <laughs> <laughs> woohoo! So, woohoo! So then, like, question. So, is, then was there a reason why the crazy, sadistic, murderous 
replicant Love, why she was named Love. Is there some significance You know, to there that? probably should be. Uh, I've actually never thought about it, which I probably should have. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I don't know. I have zero idea. <laughs> There's probably some relationship between that. And actually, no, there is scenes I would take out. Everything that every scene Jared Leto is in, he did yeah. a horror. Okay, Jared Leto is an amazing actor. His character was wasted in this movie. Really? Part you of think it, so? Uh, part, yeah, part of it was the screenplay, and the other part of it was for some reason he had like, uh, he just I I didn't like as any of his deliveries. This is without a doubt. If if someone told me that this man was one of the greatest actors of his generation, or even that he ever won an Academy Award. I wouldn't have believed you if this was the only Jared Leto movie I've ever seen. Okay, well, I also know that he was fresh off of filming Suicide Squad. I have not seen Suicide Squad. I have heard that it's crap. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that it's crap, and Jared Leto just doesn't show up at any scene. But there was that one point... He shows up a couple times, and he's good in the movie. I think he's good in Suicide Squad, which is an unpopular opinion, but I don't care. I will say that there were... The way they did implicate some because they did implicate a lot of like very overt theological christian theological aspects you um because at one point deckard is taken by love and love also sorry love works for wallace Mm -hmm. um she jared leto's character jared leto's character yes and wallace is like the main antagonist of this movie love is his right hand woman who's it's just kind of she was designed to be murderous sadistic kind of just kills everything in her sight to get her away um Brings him in, and she brings Deckard into him. And at one point, um, Wallace quotes, I can't remember where it was from the Bible, but the um, you remember Rachel? Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel from Old Testament. Mm-hmm. At one point, he quotes a story from there. Like, God provided Rachel or protected Rachel. I can't think of the exact quote off the top of my head, and it really irks me right now. Mm-hmm. But at one point, he did bring that in. Mm-hmm. And so you do have a lot of very overt theological concepts Mm. brought in there and i will say it's like i do think that jared leto did a good job for what he was given and like for suicide squad i heard that he like for because i method acting i think that's what it's called Mm -hmm. um he gave like a lot of like weird gifts to the cast members of suicide squad for this one he wore opaque contact lenses to be blind Mm mm-hmm and so, like, to actually fully immerse himself in the character, which I actually, you know, I can get behind that. It's not as weird, but um, but a lot of the cast, um, cast and crew, they said, like, it was very surreal. Be like, oh, this guy's, yeah, like, truly I, getting into a, it. <laughs> in college, the guy who did the, our uh, theater, uh, the theater department, he <laughs> said about method acting, like, you have to be seriously mentally disturbed to want to do method acting. Which I thought was the greatest, like, just, it was so funny, because this dude was, like, such a hardcore actor, and he's like, no, method acting is for people who are seriously mentally deranged. Which I was, which I thought was friggin' hilarious. Uh, <laughs> oh. I can't imagine him saying that. There are a couple, there are a couple of questions that I, like, did make up. I want to ask them to you, as you, because you like this movie way more than me, mm-hmm. and have a, definitely a lot more insight on it. So, we kind of briefly talked about it. The first one is, is the sequel as good as the original? Uh, it matters which one I watch. I think they're about equal because if I watch Blade Runner, uh, then I'm like, or the first one, then I'm like, oh, the first one's better. And then I watch the second one, I'm like, oh, the second one's better. So I, I'm going to be honest. I think they're Each about year, equal. Yeah. yeah, they are, they seamlessly fit together. 
it's almost like it really is like a part one part two but it's but, yeah. part one part two i mean it's it's weird to consider it two different movies sometimes so would it be necessary for someone who has not seen the original blade runner 1982 would it be necessary for them to watch the first 100%. one and then that one because because you, you do get a because you do get a little bit of, uh, more of deckard's backstory yeah and kind of who the replicants are and mm-hmm. kind of how they came mm-hmm. about yeah, it'll make it a lot easier, easier to grasp. I mean, you can watch the second one on its own, but it's just going to make... But the first one makes it mm-hmm. so much more fun. I Just a complete side thing, but um, as I was doing my little search, there was at one point... I'm going to try to see if I can find it somewhere in here in my good old Wikipedia notes. Um, but the final scene, again, like spo- another spoiler of the first Blade Runner, but you had the main antagonist, Roy Batty, um, when... Deckard killed him. You had the song Tears and Rain playing. Oh, yeah, and that played at the end and of the... And then they, they yeah. did a remastered version for when... Johan Johansson. Yep, what, it's called Tears in the Rain mm-hmm. with... And it is pouring rain outside, or... It's well, snow. snow. Snow or rain, it's snow. Snow, and that's also some great symbolism. Yeah, the, oh. <laughs> so, well, I don't know what it means, because I haven't really thought much about it, but I just think it's cool. <laughs> well, when I, when I think snow, I think white, and when I think white, I think purity. But I don't know if purity would have a... Right. Well, I mean, think about it. Because he's, as he's bleeding out, it's all white, except for... And he sort of blends into it because of his aesthetic. Yeah. Um, except for the blood dripping out from his fight. So, therefore, the only thing in, uh, which drips into the snow, the only thing impure about him now is uh, where um, where love wounded him. Where love touched... Where love, the bad replicant touched him essentially yeah where she injured that's him. yes that is the only impurity and it seeps onto the purity of the snow okay i can get behind that yeah i'm enjoying ben's theological corner honestly yeah, I, i'm like i, I i'm <laughs> wait till we talk about arrival I'm, I'm not it's not as extensive with arrival but like arrival does explore some cool stuff <laughs> that's awesome so I got, I got a lot of questions here so christopher nolan was a prospect to direct the, this film how different do you think the film will be if he directed it oh I, Could you imagine Christopher Nolan directing I this? I am so glad he didn't. Um, <laughs> I am so, so glad he didn't. I I love Nolan, but his personality does not fit well with this. There is not nearly enough explosions. Because in, in, yeah. in his heart, Nolan is still a boy who likes explosions and gunfights, which yeah. is why I like him. <laughs> um, and it's just, it would have been interstellar, but way worse. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, eh, no, that would have sucked. I wasn't a huge interstellar fan. Yeah, um, it wasn't a super fun movie. I will say, and Christopher Nolan, he did, I believe he did say this, correct me if I'm wrong, but he did say, he's like, I love, he's like, I do love the franchise. I don't think I would be a good fit. So even he himself was just like, Yeah, he said the same thing about Batman. He almost didn't make the third Batman movie. Really? Because he was just like, I'm not going to contrive the story. And he just got up, and he just went off doing The Dark Knight. Are you talking about, about like, just third? No, third Dark Knight, or third, uh, yeah, Dark Knight movie, Dark Knight Rises, because he just came off Inception, and he was like, and they wanted to do a third one. Warner Bros. kept giving him a better and better deal, and he's Mm -hmm. sitting here like, I'm not going to tell a story unless it's worth telling. Mm -hmm. And then he... Found a story worth telling. Yeah, exactly. But that's why he waited uh, a little longer between that than he did between Batman Begins and um, Dark Knight. I will say I'm because ha- I think also around the time he they were doing the work for um, Blade Runner twenty four nine. I forgot what movie we were talking about for a mm-hmm. minute. Um, he was also doing work for Dunkirk, mm-hmm. and I will say Dunkirk absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna talk. Like I'm hoping we can talk about that at one point because I know we both love that movie mm-hmm. very very much. So. 
as, as I've said before, it's like Ridley Scott, he was set to do this movie before he resigned. Should he have stayed on? Let's or see. do you think well, Hold on. What, that what movie did he do before that? I don't Because Ridley Scott has a really interesting trend. I think he was, I think he got a little bit more involved in Alien Covenant. That was one of the reasons. Oh, no. Okay, I'm glad he didn't. He, this is really Scott's really interesting trend because he marched in 2015. That was a movie right before okay. this. Okay. Uh, he has very, he is, every other movie he makes is amazing. But every other movie he makes also is, is horrible. <laughs> like the same guy who made The Martian a couple years earlier made Gods and Kings. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's, There's the, a it's, it's the Ten Commandments, it. but an action movie. Like the Ten Commandments. Wait, what? For, or, uh, no, not Ten Commandments. I'm sorry. Um, Prince of Egypt, but an action movie with Christian Bale. It was horrible. Uh, and you look at his filmography, by the way, and you'll see, like, in between, like, doing Blade Runner and Alien, he does, like, just absolutely, like, crappy movies. <laughs> and you're just like, is this the same guy? Mm. Um, he, he is just, he has such an interesting filmography. Like, I, I just... I always get, am just so happy because, like, you can tell he's had so many successes over the last 30 years. Oh, very much. That, like, he's going to – I mean, he's – if there's a – I don't – there isn't a film hall of fame. But if there – oh, he's probably – he's on the walk of fame. There we go. So he's not, like, a one-trick pony or even a two- or three-trick pony. He's had, like, five or six classics. Uh, and then he just makes absolutely garbage movies. <laughs> and you're just kind of sitting here like, what are you doing? Like, you're – and. You're a genius. We hit our low points every once in a while. Well, it's interesting, though. Yeah, but though. this is every other movie. <laughs> so it's interesting, though, because there is some talks of a third film. Actually, oh, I two. really hope they leave it. No, yeah, I... Because, uh... like, there is a third film that's currently, like, be it's being talked about, but nothing is def definite. So a couple things. Like, one, Ridley Scott has even said, no, I'm interested in doing another one. Mm. Um, Denny, I'm going to picture this man. Minueva. Vanueva. Well, he's doing his, the super project, dude, it's, and then hopefully oh, Dune okay. Part 2. Yeah. Everyone yeah. watch it when it comes out in 2021. We'll show Warner Brothers we want a Dune Part 2. two. Boom. There we go. Bombard social media. Yeah. Um, Vanueva? I'm going to... I'm so sorry for butchering this man's name. Um, But he's even expected. He's like, I would be down to do another one, but it will be disconnected from everything else because the same... You had the same screenwriter, who I can't think of the man's name... Um, who did the original Blade Runner? He also did the did the screenplay for this Blade Runner, and so hence why a lot of the dialogue is the same. And which I do like, they they still brought him back in, to where it's like nothing is really. A lot has changed, but at the same time, nothing had changed within that thirty year period. And so Villanueva said said he's like, yeah, I'm interested, but one, um, story that the screenwriter had was I was like, okay, Deckard in another country. And so, do you think there should be a third film? No, absolutely. I didn't think there should be a second, but being a way of surprising me. But a third film, no, absolutely not. So you think it should be left dead, done? It happened. Yeah, yeah. This will. You think it ended on a high note? Yeah, I don't want them to take. I don't want them to butcher it. Um, I mean, no one expected the second one to be good, and it was good, and it was good in such its own unique way, but while still being a continuation of the first. And uh, it would, it I think would butcher a very pure legacy in cinema. Um, okay, and I I don't I don't want to see that happen. I do not want to see that happen. I mean, we've already seen like I mean, as much as I love Ridley Scott, like he's butchered <laughs> his own franchise with Alien. Like, <laughs> like I mean, it's uh, and we don't want that to happen to Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner's too good it's, for this. It's one already. of those things where it's like okay, two is enough. 
if you continue on, it will kind of dig its own grave. Exactly. After actually, I I also by the way another unpopular opinion. I loved Alien. I dislike Aliens a lot, but it's also because I don't really like James Cameron. Him and I just I don't <laughs> like his I don't like his filming style. Um, you and Dad do not like James Cameron. Yeah, it's just I mean he, the filming ter- style is just not. Yeah, Terminator is the only one of all of James Cameron's movies that I actually am okay with. Uh, and that's the I first Terminator. He, I, I forgot he did Terminator. <laughs> yeah, well, the first Terminator. Um, anyways. Anyways. Uh, another, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's like, should there be another one? No. So, another. this is just an interesting tidbit I found. And I think it'd be fun. So, David Bowie was originally considered to play Wallace. But that then he died. Cool. But then he died. Aww. Therefore, he couldn't do it. Hmm. So how do you think the performance would have been? Would it have been the same as Jared Leto's? Because they went with Jared Leto because he kind of had the same kind of rock star-ish persona. Um, just a lot of similar qualities that David Leto, not David Leto, David Bowie was going to bring to the table. How do you think his performance would have been? Better, worse, same? I think it would have been better since because that would have been totally against type. Everyone can imagine G- uh, Jared Leto. And like Jake Gyllenhaal, everyone can imagine Jared Leto playing the, the, the part of a sociopath. Dude. Yeah. Like, so a sociopathic creep. Um, and I think he'd agree with that. <laughs> Is that something you should be proud of? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Dave, hey, someone's yeah. got to play them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they're usually like, I mean, it's Oscar bait. Um, You're not wrong. Yeah. So... I think it would be more... I think it would be interesting because I just... I actually don't think I've ever seen David Bowie act. Um... I saw him in Labyrinth, and it kind of I freaked me Labyrinth. out. Uh, I, I, some girls I lived with last year, they had me watch it. It was an interesting movie. <laughs> so yeah, as one. Oh, I oh, but he's in that like weird like troll makeup, right? I've seen pictures. He's he's the Goblin King. Is yeah, that, is he the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's mind. the Goblin King, and then he. I kinda, haven't seen it, but I do remember those pictures. I'm like, wow, jeez. <laughs> like he didn't do a so, bad yeah, job in Labyrinth. Yeah. I would not watch it again because it kind of weirded me out not creeped me out just little little weirded me out mm, yeah <laughs> so yeah i don't know i mean i would be interested in it i think who else would i want to do other than jared leto though like I'm trying to figure out who would do someone for else some that could be I'm, cast against type but you could uh for some reason i'm thinking johnny depp but i don't think he would no, do a good job no no it would have to be he, so, he, it would have, probably, he could play the like crazy com- characters yeah i think of like a like a Trying to think of like a comedy actor or somebody that you could like totally cast against that. Oh, like, um, who is like not the, Adam Sandler, but like no, I who, no, um, who's the guy? He's in Death of Stalin. He played, I think he played Lenin. Lenin. Not Lenin. You know who? I'm, remember? Who, There's there, it's not Steve Buscemi. Yes, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. For some reason, like that's when I think comedy. For some reason, I'm no. Nah, I don't know about that. Maybe uh. Although I would be really interested to see how Keegan Michael Key from Key and hmm. Peele. I think I think actually you put some makeup on him, you like do something. I don't know. I that, that's I'm gonna huh. let that float out there for a hot huh. minute and see what I think of it. Huh. Um, but he it's against type. I mean, I think he could totally... I think, actually, he can, he can probably pull off those roles really well if he actually ever takes those kind of roles. Uh, he just seems like he's a smart enough actor that he's able to do it. Um, also, for some reason, my mind drifted to David Spade, and I don't know why. That would be just so funny to see David Spade. David Spade? I don't know why. Cause mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, that actually would David, be Because when I think David Spade, I think rules of engagement and I'm yeah. the groove. 
for some reason that just I he, I don't think he could actually do it, I, but it would I mean be I almost funny. want to amend it to uh to David Spade. Well, I mean think about it. Like if David Spade like if joke. he shaved his entire head. Bald David Spade. Just bald, like no facial hair. I'm like talking about widening out his uh, eyebrows, and then with the bald contacts in. Uh, actually, David Bowie would have been better. But like, <laughs> anyways, you can, anyways, I could see him as doing being one of the replicants. Yeah, I, as being like one of the replicants as like a random cameo appearance. Yeah. Him and Bill Murray just as random cameo appearance. You know who else maybe can do it? Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes. Oh, actually, Ralph Fiennes. Oh, Rafe? I think Ralph Fiennes. Rafe, Ralph, whatever it is, Fiennes. Never mind. I'm going to take it all back. He should have been. I Oh, he should have been Wallace. That would have been so much better. That would have been really good. Yeah, he could have easily pulled that. Like, oh, shoot. It would have been a different Wallace. But I think it would have been a better Wallace. Better than Leto? Yeah, definitely better. Because I will say. Leto Again, brought, I brought way too much of his... He's just coming off filming the Joker. He brought the Joker in, and I was like, eh. Yeah, I will say he did a good job with what he had. I'm not going to downgrade his like downgrade his performance. I and, didn't think so. <laughs> but like, I think he did good with what he had. Yeah. I will say I found it very unmemorable. Because sometimes I forgot that Wallace was the main... Antagonist. Yeah, he's, not even, he's not even in our notes. I, yeah, <laughs> I have a whole, I have a, like a list of notes. I kind of just didn't mention him a little bit. Uh, I kept thinking of Love, because mm-hmm. Love, she's a murderous, sadistic replicant. However, I think find her entertaining to watch yeah. because she's just like, I'm just gonna kill everything in sight until I get my way. And she has this entire idea of, I am better than you, mm-hmm. because at one point towards the end of the movie, when her with the final battle. With her and Kay, like she's just beating the crap out of Kay, and she looks at him. And actually, it wasn't the final battle, it was maybe it was the final battle, but I'm um, inside that one or when she first gets Deckard and Kay together, like and takes Deckard away. But at one point, she says to him, She's just like, um, along the lines of, I am better than you, I am the best. She's just like, No, like, I'm the best person, I am just the best replicant, I will be superior. It actually makes sense because at one point when Kay and Love meet for the first time at the beginning of the movie, um, she says her name's Love and she's a replicant. And Kay looks at her and he's just like, he must like you because she has a name. She doesn't have a serial number. Officer K mm. has a serial number because mm. it's K6D-7.3.7. I think that's what it was. But I would never remember that. Yeah. <laughs> well, they mentioned it like so many times to so him. Like, okay, I know there's a new serial number now, mm-hmm. but... That makes a lot of sense. And then later on, at one point, Joy gives him the name Joe. She's just because that's at the point where they thought um, Kay was the love child the of Jacqueline, yeah. the chosen one. <laughs> uh, and Joy, she's just like, "You're a real person. You were born, not made. You need to have a real name." And so she chose the name Joe. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Deckard doesn't. Deckard knows that uh, Kay is a replicant, but and because it's interesting. Deckard asks him, asks Kay, what's your name? And he starts to recite his serial number. And Deckard's like, no. what's?" He's like, that's your serial number. What is your name? And so he kind of, in a way, like some form of, re- I guess, in respect. I, mean, what we, I don't know if you call it respect, mm-hmm. but he's just like, no, what is your name? I'm going to call you by your name. And he goes by the name Joe, the one that Joy gave him. You mean like a, 
a born again name. <laughs> I mean, the Catholic Honestly, Church does it. The Orthodox yeah, Church does it. it. I mean, like well, this is this theology. Is, yeah, this is just like it's coming everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Oh my, we I went from like hop skip the jump, but I mean, it, make, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So my final question: Do you think that Vianville Villain? Villanueva. Villanueva. Sorry. If you're listening to this, I don't know if you are, but if you are, but if you are, I am so sorry for butchering your name this entire time. Do you think he did the original justice? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like I said earlier, it was like a continuation of the first movie, and the first movie is so good anyway. Like, uh, no wonder this movie is in conversation, one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time. Um, it's just... Yeah, it's it's they're so compatible. I, you, it's impossible to watch one movie without the other at this point. It would be like watching just one of the Lord of the Rings. You have to watch them all. Yeah. In order to get that same effect. Well, thank you for joining us on our this kind of this kind of episode went a little bit of everywhere, but I enjoyed it. Then thank you, Ben, for taking us into your lovely theological corner because Lord knows I needed it <laughs> because I was very much lost a little bit. Thank again. Thank you for joining us. Please join us next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we're going to talk about a great movie. Bye, guys. How long was that?